0: Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Brenna.
0: And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805
1: and on the Tukumloops Te Swetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Ulu. And today's text, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, takes place in the traditional territories of the Leni-Lenape people in the land that's now known as New Jersey. All right.
0: So we have sort of two bits on the agenda. So yes, we are talking about Book Club finally. And thank you everyone for uh, holding in there with us.
1: Joe, this was the book that unlocked Book Club excitement.
0: Apparently so, yes, because we actually have <laughs> multiple people who wrote in, so Yay! we're going to be reading people's responses, and then we're going to be commenting with a little bit of our own dialogue, so mm-hmm. hopefully folks will get a better sense of what we're envisioning for Book Club, because we can actually follow through on the promise now. <laughs> Yay! Uh, but uh, before we do that, I also wanted to acknowledge that a couple of people did get in touch with us about our placelessness and YA episode, Brenna, so... It's interesting because when you proposed it, I wasn't really sure that it would make for a good topic, but I do think that it galvanized an important conversation that we ended mm-hmm. up getting both an email as well as a couple of Twitter responses. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to propose that we start there.
1: Yeah, please. So when we talked about placelessness, we were really commenting on this idea that there there seemed to be certain demographics who don't feel any compelling need to like orient their texts in space and time and mm-hmm. you know we, we sort of talked about why that might be but I thought we got a really great response from T Books and Chocolate on Twitter that I think is worth thinking about so T Books and Chocolate says especially for white authors writing within the quote unquote real world there can be a white gaze that leads to an assumed universality of experience that is anyone can read themselves into the character regardless of who the reader is and where they are This belief is deeply rooted in white supremacy and racism, as well as other isms, because only people holding positions of power assume everyone sees the world like them. People who hold marginalized or oppressed positions know that people don't. So in conclusion, I think placelessness is more than not naming physical and geographical location, but a failure of empathy to name social locations and understand the differences of human experiences.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. I should note that that's actually part of a longer thread. So that was me doing a little bit of an edit just to kind of get it down. Yeah. But it's a lot of great points. And I think putting it together very succinctly in a way Mm -hmm. that I think you and I sometimes struggled with when we were (laughs) doing it a bit more off the cuff.
1: Yeah, I know. Because I read that thread and I was like, yeah, that's what we said, right? But it's not really what we said. But it's true. It's exactly the point. <laughs> that your your power and privilege can often make it so that you don't see what other people's experiences Are You just assume, especially like we live in a culture where white people read a lot of books by white people and watch a lot of TV about white people and watch a lot of Mm -hmm. movies about white people. And there is this assumed universality of that experience, right? Like if something is made without a white character, we comment on it and, and talk about its appeal to a quote unquote ethnic audience, right? Oh, sure. So all of that plays into a sensibility that I think we do see playing out in these YA books for sure
0: hmm. Yeah. So we also got an email from Spencer, who identified themselves as a grad student. And
1: uh, I just Spencer's been interacting with us on Twitter as well. And I've just really enjoyed, I don't know, grad school chat again, Joe, I know,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> so Spencer wrote in and said, I first started thinking about place in YA in terms of representation. I thought how it's such a privilege for Americans, typically New Yorkers and Angelinos, like Los Angeles folks, to always see their lives and homes reflected in stories for young people and how important it is to see your home well represented in a book or on screen and how validating that can be. And it's true, right? Like when we think Mm -hmm. about the stories we often see, it really is these big coastal cities. So Spencer continues, during my undergrad while researching for a project on incorporating LGBTQ literature in the classroom, I read the story of a gay author who shared that when he was growing up and sneakily reading LGBTQ books in the library, he was given the impression that he would one day have to leave his small town and move to the city in order to be himself. Mm. And this really troubled Spencer because as a student teacher in a small town, they wanted to make sure that queer students that they were working with would be able to see themselves living happily wherever they wanted. So mm-hmm. uh, this ended up leading to the research project that Spencer is working on, which is all about Canadian LGBTQIA literature and they ended up providing us with some links and a couple of suggestions for authors that we should be reading so thank you for that suggestion spencer but i was particularly struck with this idea that it's not just a placelessness but a recognition that certain places are more valuable or quote unquote mm-hmm. you will need to be involved in in order to live your authentic life
1: yeah i loved this because it made me think of a whole angle we didn't even talk about on the show around placelessness which is The way in which Canadian culture, and I mean Canadian culture with like a small c, I mean like Canadian cultural products often position themselves as placeless in order to be saleable internationally right so we think about how many canadian productions like blur out the license plates or Mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. you see them just sort of like surreptitiously not using money so you don't see what currency it is it's not even a concrete attempt to be american it's just this attempt to not be located in place in canada Mm -hmm. and i think that that has this huge impact of like how uncool is canada that we're not even the main character in our own movies you know
0: (laughs) Well, it's the problem of being Hollywood North, right? Where people come to us to not be ourselves because we're meant to stand in for other
1: places. Yeah, like Rumble in the Bronx, set against the backdrop of the Vancouver Mountains. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah,
0: those Bronx Mountains that everyone talks about. (laughs)
1: Famous Bronx Mountains. (laughs)
0: Indeed, yeah. So all this to say, thank you to both T Books and Chocolate, as well as Spencer for responding to the Placenessness episode. And folks, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, uh, go back and give it a listen. It's a brief one. It's only about 25 minutes.
1: Oh, beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Can we talk about book club now?
0: Yes. Let's transition into Are You There God? It's me, Margaret. And apparently folks love them some Judy Bloom because we got a bunch of responses.
1: Yes, yes. People loved Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. This was the exact response I was hoping for with Book Club, which is to tap into something that either people felt a resonance with or were surprised they had been away from it, like they hadn't connected with it previously. Mm -hmm. Should I give a brief overview of the plot and then we'll jump in and talk about people's comments? Absolutely. Go for it. Okay. So Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret was published in 1970. And it's A young adult novel although i think nowadays we might think of it more
0: i think it's middle grade right
1: i think it's more middle grade yeah definitely when it was published it was like this is a book for teens but you know she's in the sixth grade and she's getting her period so Mm -hmm. the central conceit of the novel i guess is that our protagonist margaret has been raised without religion her mother and father are in an interfaith marriage her mother is christian her father is jewish and they've decided that for a whole bunch of reasons, including the traumatic experience of Margaret's mother's family casting her out for marrying a Jewish man, they decided they're better off without religion and they're not going to raise Margaret with any faith at all, Mm -hmm. which is basically fine when she's living in New York City. But when Margaret is 12, Her family moves her from New York City to New Jersey. And suddenly in suburban New Jersey, her religion really matters because the community is basically divided into people who go to the Y, Christians, Mm -hmm. and people who go to the Jewish community center, Jews. And she's like, but I'm neither of those things.
0: And everyone is aghast. Yes. (laughs) Including her teacher. What do you mean you don't have religion in your life? It's like, oh, these were different times. Maybe? Question mark.
1: Well, it's fascinating, right? Because um, the extent to which so much of the social world is organized around those lines, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you're not a member of the Jewish Community Center, and you're not a member of the YMCA, then you don't have the pool to go swimming in, you don't have like fitness facilities to use, like, so much of society in this community is organized on these lines. Mm -hmm. And so... Margaret starts to explore her faith and she undertakes it. She's got this cool teacher. He's super cool. Hey,
0: he is cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know, but he's also like the stereotypical capital S, capital C, super cool teacher. Oh,
0: gosh, he's trying so hard. I love him.
1: Oh, my God. So he asks the students to find a passion project for the semester. And Margaret is trying to figure out what religion she wants to be. So she attends various services, various Christian services with her friends and she attends Jewish services with her grandmother and this is the backdrop for a whole lot of self-discovery. Margaret is about to get her period, her friends are wearing bras and she doesn't need one yet, there's Mm -hmm. a whole boy-girl party with a whole kissing in the closet scene.
0: Oh yeah, I had a lot of social anxiety about this book, I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) Oh, I was right there with Margaret through so many of these experiences.
1: And ultimately, I guess what Margaret comes to realize is that she can kind of make her own way through the world. She mm-hmm. doesn't have to listen to her domineering friends. She doesn't have to choose a permanent relationship with God at this exact moment. She no. she can just kind of keep growing up. And we'll talk about some of the feedback we've got. I think some folks felt that that was a little bit unsatisfying as an ending. Um, but I think the point, in, at least, you know, whether you find it satisfying or not, is that margaret is still on a path of growth right and and we leave her still growing which i kind of liked
0: i do as well and i think we'll have a bit more to say about that so i will say one of the fun things that i got to do is i'm trying to pin the book club pick to the top of our twitter handle so that if folks are trying to figure out what to read they can just see it immediately and doing so required me to find a picture of the book and Brenna. This book, I mean, obviously, as you said, it's from the 70s. So it's gone through many different permutations. But it's a fascinating journey to follow the book cover art through different decades and printing publications because they're all so uniquely reflective of the content, but they're also incredibly different. So I did enjoy that uh, listener Aaron from Twitter she wasn't actually reading the book at the time, but uh she did highlight the most recent iteration, which is a text message between Margaret and God, <laughs> and God just has Margaret on wait with the dot dot dot. <laughs> And that's actually the book edition that I had, and when I posted it on Twitter, I actually had a former coworker say, "I freaking love this cover. It is so clever."
1: It's so clever. I love this. Judy Bloom's novels in general have gone through kind of an updating um, of covers and things, mm-hmm. and this is one of my favorites because it's just well, it's just perfect. That's exactly what's happening, right? God ain't really responding. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: yeah, I think it's really great. We also got a brief mention from Sophie on Twitter, who uh, she actually did tweet to us while she was mid-read, and she just said, Grandma just arrived, and she's a riot. (laughs)
1: Love, Grandma. Love, Grandma.
0: (laughs) We should specify that this is Jewish Grandma and not Christian Grandma.
1: In fact, we definitely get the sense that one of the reasons the family has moved to New Jersey is because Margaret's mom is desperately trying to escape her (laughs) mother-in-law.
0: Oh, 100%. Yes. (laughs)
1: And then her mother in law just keeps showing up. It's awesome. She's great.
0: I love it when grandma just shows up unannounced and the parents aren't even up yet. And she's like, no, it's okay, Margaret, don't wake them up. We'll just have a little bit of alone time, you and I.
1: (laughs) Well, it's great, too, because grandma doesn't drive. So everybody's like, how did you get here?
0: Well, yeah, the mom clearly thought, oh, we're moving far away enough that because grandma doesn't drive, she won't be able to get to us unannounced. (laughs) And it's like, grandma's in distress. She will take a bus and a train to get to her granddaughter.
1: She (laughs) loves her granddaughter. And it really is a very sweet relationship. And it's interesting because it's contrasted with the maternal grandparents who we do meet, who who basically have no time for Margaret if she is not professing their religion. Yeah. Whereas grandma... Wants very much for Margaret to choose Judaism Mm -hmm. because it's important to her, but it's not a condition of her love for Margaret in the way that it clearly is for the maternal grandparents who we don't like.
0: And that's actually something that Victoria emailed us about. So Victoria sent us the longest response of everyone. So you'll be hearing from Victoria in a couple of different instances, but specifically about religion. So mm-hmm. Victoria identified that she now considers herself agnostic, and she doesn't have a place for religion in her own life. But she was raised Christian. And she says the scene that really hit her hard in the gut is when Margaret's maternal grandparents have different so they they arrive unexpectedly on this east coast trip
1: and poor margaret has to cancel her trip to florida to entertain these people who don't even like her for who she is it's heartbreaking
0: and she's never met them before this is her Mm -hmm. introduction to them and everything is clearly a little bit tense i love that margaret is observant enough to understand Mm -hmm. what's going on but she obviously also doesn't understand all the nuance Mm-hmm. But there's o- that obvious tension with having relatives who have cut you out of their lives because you don't agree with their religious beliefs. But then also when they do finally show up and they just immediately let Margaret down because they either ignore her or patronize her because Mm -hmm. she's not adhering to what they want. And Victoria says it's infuriating how her grandmother doesn't acknowledge her as a person or ask for her thoughts and opinions simply because she doesn't choose to be a Christian in this immediate moment. It's like Margaret has no choice in the matter and therefore she doesn't exist because of it.
1: Mm hmm. It's interesting. This aspect of the book is what I connect with the most. I think it's not uncommon for our generation, Joe, to have been raised without religion. Mm-hmm. So the controversy that surrounds it is certainly strange. But, you know, I was raised in a house without religion. My mom's nominally Christian-ish. My dad's <laughs> definitely a pretty hardcore atheist. And we just didn't really talk about religion growing up. No. And the thing that you realize When you're in that situation, and the thing you realize from reading about Margaret is like, just because you don't talk about it as a family doesn't mean kids don't have constant questions about it. Right. And I was always experimenting with like, random acts of prayer. (laughs) Like,
0: I'm Mm -hmm. just gonna,
1: how does this work again? What do I do? Like, I'm gonna try it. Do I just ask for stuff? What's going on here?
0: Yeah, if I ask, do I just automatically receive it? Is that how it works?
1: (laughs) What's the deal? Someone explain the rules. (laughs) So yeah, I, I loved Margaret's exploration. And I I loved how the book, first of all, doesn't make her decide. There's, there's not a right religion at the end of the day, but what the book does come down really hard on are people like Grandma Mary and whatever his name is. I don't even care. Mm-hmm. The maternal grandparents, who are just so clearly using religion as a way to control the family. Oh,
0: sure, yeah. And when
1: it doesn't work for them, then that's all they have to offer. I found that, I don't know, I just really love that a book like this one, it takes a fairly radical stance, I think for its time period mm-hmm. in that way. I mean, this is certainly a book that is regularly challenged. Uh, oh, it's yes. challenged because of the conversations about sex and sexuality, but it's also regularly challenged as a sort of blasphemous book, particularly oh in goodness. religious school districts. Where Whereas I think, I mean, the thing about Margaret is she's the farthest thing from blasphemous, right? She's really Mm -hmm. respectful. She wants to understand what religion is, and she wants to know if it is something that makes sense for her. Like, a kind of delight in her exploration and her joy at exploring things, even when she's frustrated, you know?
0: Absolutely. I was surprised at how relatable and contemporary this book still feels Despite the fact that it is nearly 50 years old at this point. And I think a lot of those things, you know, there, there are some dated references in there. But for the most part, the conversations and the way that Margaret is growing up and trying to find her way and trying to carve out her identity, both with religion, with sexuality, even just like with the tenets of friendship, they're all incredibly relatable.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel
0: like everybody has to go through these trials of passage. And that makes the book feel very like, oh, yes, everyone can find something that they will latch on in this text.
1: For me, it's also the relationship with Nancy Wheeler. Like, I think every little girl had a Nancy Wheeler in her life, a sort of domineering best friend who sort mm-hmm. of controlled everything. And P.S. if you didn't have a Nancy Wheeler, you were Nancy Wheeler, just <gasps> FYI. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's true, though. You know, it's true, though. <laughs> The book is as much about recognizing that religion is personal as it is about recognizing like life is a personal experience you can't Mm -hmm. let other people live it on your behalf like you can't let the nancy wheelers of the world control the way you experience life Mm -hmm. i think that's also a really relatable component of the story
0: yeah and I like how one dovetails into the other like it's Margaret's experiences learning that Nancy is a bit of a liar right like she has fibbed in order to make herself seem more mature by saying that she had gotten her period and then of course they're at a dinner in New York City and it comes out that Nancy has lied and she she completely falls apart and Margaret says well thank goodness I was here for this but also (laughs) what the heck (laughs) and i love that because it prepares margaret to stand up to her maternal grandmother when the timing becomes important right because she's already dealt Mm -hmm. with someone who's trying to control her actions
1: it's interesting because there is this streak of girlhood that for whatever reason many of these markers of biology become Well, there are ways in which we get controlled and we control. So like, for example, the girls who develop too early are often deeply traumatized by Mm -hmm. the way their community reads them. Girls who develop too late are often deeply traumatized by the way their community reads them. And what we have here is Nancy, who's so scared of developing late that she's faked the whole thing.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, you've got Margaret stuffing her bra for the party and then being terrified a boy is actually going to touch her boob and find out it's just cotton balls. (laughs) We had a note from Jane who said, I kind of wished I had this book when I was maybe eight or nine years old. I remember being kind of scared about growing up, changing bodies and whatnot. And it might have been helpful to have something like this. And that is definitely the time when I first read this book. And it was very much like, oh, okay, this is fine. And I think they have updated some of the language because if I remember correctly, the first time I read this book, the sanitary napkins are the old school belted kind because i remember getting very freaked out that you had to like buy an appliance to attach your sanitary napkin to oh okay and i remember telling my mom about it my mom was like oh no they're sticky now and then i noticed when we read this version they're Mm -hmm. normal adhesive pads so i think a few little changes have been made through the book so that it remains a book that is like a touchstone and not something that feels alienating
0: right
1: but yeah, I think this is exactly that book, the book that helps people, girls, but also everyone, I think, depending on your experience of puberty and
0: mm-hmm. and
1: childhood and, and girlhood. I could see this being a really helpful book for folks who have questions about gender, too. I mean, it's a very gender binary book, but I think that the way in which Margaret explores herself and her body and the, the range of normal among the four girls could be really helpful for a lot of different people.
0: Yes, absolutely. Because one of the things that I was most interested in was whether I would be able to forge some kind of connection to this text, because it has always been positioned to me as a girl book. Mm -hmm. This long line of conversations we've had about, okay, well, if you're a girl, you read this book. And if you're a boy, you read this book, and never the two shall meet, Mm -hmm. as though also those are the only two genders, which of course we know they are not but I think that there's enough in here about just the process of growing up and gently questioning adults and making good friend decisions. You know, obviously, this is a very specific white middle class girl book, but it doesn't mean that it's ostracizing other people.
1: Did you know she wrote a boy, quote unquote, boy version of this book? I did not know. It's called Then Again, Maybe I Won't, and it's 1971, so she publishes it the year after. And it's basically a book about puberty from the perspective of a boy. Hmm. It also deals a lot with class. It sort of has almost a reverse transition to the one in this book because um, the main character, Tony, he's from like a working class family. And then his father has this massive influx of money and they move to a like, an upper class community in New York.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's like he's now trying to navigate this new world where class is a whole thing.
0: Hmm.
1: Anyway, he ends up having to go to the doctor because he's got lo- what they diagnosed in 1971 as a nervous stomach. It's like, <laughs> that's IBS, friend. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's interesting to me that she did also write a quote unquote boy version that has been nowhere near as famous mm-hmm. as the girl version of the story.
0: Anyway. Yeah, it's complicated because we can't expect any one story to do everything and Victoria does make a point that this is from a particular vocalization and you know Mm -hmm. she wonders what would have happened if Margaret had have gone to a mosque or a Mm -hmm. Hindu ceremony or she had have had a black friend or Mm -hmm. an Asian friend or even a queer friend and I think part of that is just by virtue of when the story was written, this is what we got. But I'm imagining that Judy Bloom and other people who have followed in her footsteps have addressed or incorporated more of those contemporary aspects that we're looking for and we're hungry for nowadays.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely, it's a product of its moment. But I think that's a really good question. Like, one of the things that I would love to see Margaret understand, confront, examine is surely there's a change in the community makeup between the world that she sees in New York. And we get, we get like hints of it, just the Mm -hmm. obsession with religion in the, in the suburb compared to in New York, I think is a hint of it, but I would definitely welcome a conversation about that. That's a little bolder.
0: Yeah, I kind of got a touch of it, but it is specific to Jewish culture when her grandmother arrives unexpectedly and they have a brief conversation about food and how grandma Mm -hmm. brought food with her because she was so convinced that they wouldn't be able to get any authentic food out in the suburbs
1: yes and it's fascinating to me that even as tame as this book feels now it is still so frequently challenged like i know we've had this conversation a hundred times but i am always shocked that like
0: yeah It's too gentle for people to be outraged about. And I know that we keep using gentle, but honestly, this is so approachable and just so engaging. Like, there is nothing controversial about this except for how mundane it presents this character's life. Like, this is just a story about a couple of months in a girl's life as she questions who she is and who she wants to be. That shouldn't be confronting to anyone.
1: (laughs) No, and it's still in the top 100 most challenged books. Like, wild to me. Absolutely mm-hmm. wild. Huh?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if we might end this conversation uh, on a bit of a funny note, and I want to introduce an email from Nadia, and she wanted to give a quick shout out to Margaret's love of reinforcements on her list of school supplies, which I thought was hilarious, (laughs) I haven't thought about reinforcements in maybe a decade.
1: (laughs) Do you remember you used to take the reinforcements? Oh my god, our actual Gen Z listeners were like, what the hell are they talking about? Used to take the little reinforcements, and then you could put two of them as like Google the eyes and then make like funny faces out of them.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. folks, if you have no idea what we're talking about, it's in case <laughs> you ripped your papers out of your binder, you could use a reinforcement to reinforce the hole so that you could keep it without having the paper fall out of the binder later.
1: I mean, it's a miracle.
0: <laughs> it truly is. Yes.
1: <laughs> Listen, if you've ever been trying to study for an exam and realize that that important page has been ripped out of your binder and gone for a walk, you know that reinforcements will save you. I used to reinforce pages, like as soon as I used the page, I would reinforce just to be... Just to be safe. Just to be safe. (laughs)
0: Um, Yes, but one other point that Nadia makes is uh, because she is 29 and she is actually working with teenagers, she felt very connected to Mr. Benedict, the teacher. And, you know, we joked about how he's a... Quote unquote super cool teacher because (laughs) he's trying so hard to relate to these kids, and it's a tough position, right? Because you're still young, but you're too old to connect with these people because they are not of your generation, and how they're probably rolling their eyes at you. So, Nadia made that connection. I definitely made that connection.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) And part of this was Nadia posed a question of. What is it like for people who read this as an adult and related more closely to Mr. Benedict compared to people who read this as a teenager or a middle grader? And what was your feeling on Mr. Benedict then?
1: Oh, that's interesting. Because when I read it as a kid, he was very eye-roll worthy. Right? (laughs) Yes. But now I get him. I do.
0: (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I love that moment at the end of the book where he says like, oh, I'm so much more prepared for next year because I've got this one <laughs> year under my belt. And you're just thinking, oh yeah.
1: Oh honey. <laughs>
0: okay. So I wanted to thank everybody who wrote in to give us uh, either a brief or a long thought about, are you there God? It's me, Margaret. We're hoping that this highlights a little bit of how we'd love to proceed with book club in the future. So Again, it can be a short response, it can be a long response, it can be a personal response, it can be any which way. But we do love to hear from you folks, particularly in how you're relating to the books.
1: Yes, this was a real joy to hear such a range of perspectives. And like everything from telling us what you thought of grandma, to telling us what you thought of race and sexuality, to telling us what you thought of reinforcements. It's all a joy. It was Mm -hmm. really, this was a really fun week.
0: Yes. (laughs) So, Brenna, what is our next yeah! book?
1: Okay. So here is uh, one for the queer coming of age lovers in the audience. We're going to read "The Toll Bridge" by Aiden Chambers.
0: Ah, uh, yes, folks. And you'll remember that Brenna has talked about the influence of Aiden Chambers on mm-hmm. your upbringing.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I'll read you the blurb so that you have a reason to want to read it. It's about a character named Pierce. He's 17 years old and he's left home. So this is a very England in the 90s kind of story. You can just leave school at like grade 11 if you want. (laughs) So he's trying to escape a family life that is not good. And he comes across Tess and Adam in his journey. Adam is this sort of drifter character who just shows up at the toll bridge one day and isn't going to leave. And there's a girl named Tess. And both Pierce and Tess find themselves very attracted to Adam. Mm-hmm. So the blurb says the three test their sexuality and the bonds of their friendship as they discover who they are and aren't in a harrowing course of events that leaves all three wondering if you can ever really know anyone. Oh my. It's part of a series of four books by Aiden Chambers called The Dance Sequence, although they happen in the same universe. You don't have to read them all together. Right. And there are, as far as I know, four different editions, the most recent one out in uh, 2009. So you can still find it, libraries have it, you should be able to get your hands on it.
0: Excellent. Okay, so that is the Toll Bridge, that is the next book club pick. And I just in closing wanted to give a quick shout out to Emily, our listener from Tasmania, who made a suggestion for a future book club book. So folks, we are willing to accept those as well. We do have folks who write in and say, hey, we think this is a Brenna book or a Joe book. (laughs) You can also say, hey, I think that the rest of the listeners might get a kick out of this particular book club book. So thank you to Emily. We're going to be looking into your suggestion, which is Far From the Tree by Robin Benway.
1: Oh, fantastic. In general, we try to keep the book club books on the shorter side because we know folks are reading them in addition to whatever else is going on in their life. Mm -hmm. Tollbridge is on the longer side from what we've suggested before, but it does come in sub 200 pages, I promise.
0: Cool, cool. Okay.
1: Yeah. All right. So I guess that's that, Joe. What are we talking about next week?
0: So Brenna, we are doing a suggestion that you asked us to cover because I don't quite know this one. So it is Stargirl from the year 2000 and then it was adapted into a film just last year. 2020.
1: Yes. In fact, this came across when I first signed up for uh, Disney Plus. This was the first thing Disney Plus tried to make me watch. It was like, you're gonna love this. Check this out. And I was like, hmm, the cover has a girl holding some sort of acoustic instrument. Yes, I will love this.
0: <laughs> yes. And important to know that we are talking about this title and not the Stargirl CW superhero TV show
1: yes no this is definitely a movie um and uh yeah i think i think it's gonna be good i'm interested it's a very slight novel but yeah i don't have anything else to say about it except that's what we're talking about next week
0: okay (laughs) excellent
1: so if you have a book club suggestion or you want to tell us more about what you thought of where you there god it's me margaret or you want to live tweet your reading of the toll bridge by aiden chambers which i actually can't think of anything i would enjoy more so please Mm. do okay you can find us on Twitter at hkhspod or on the hashtag hkhspod. And you can send us long form stuff, hkhspod at gmail.com. Joe, if they want to just talk to you about, oh, I don't know, reinforcements, where will they find you?
0: <laughs> uh, you can find me at be still on my remote, and that's the letter B.
1: And actually, I'll be really mad. If you talk to Joe about reinforcements, you should tag me. I'm at Brenna C. Gray, <laughs> and that's gray with an A.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: So until next time, folks, I shall see you on the page.
0: And I will see you on the screen.
1: Bye-bye.